Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. Before we get started, I have the usual reminders. You can watch me live stream almost every day of the week. Monday through Friday, I stream Fallout New Vegas at 8 a.m. Mountain Time. On Mondays, I play Resident Evil 3 Remake at 1 p.m. Mountain. And on Sundays, it's Blair Witch at 9 p.m. I'm also a guest on the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel on Tuesdays and Fridays at 9 p.m. Mountain. On Tuesdays, we're taking on the remake of The Last of Us Part 1 with me at the controls. And on Fridays, we're doing a co-op playthrough of Dying Light. You can get your Days Gone-inspired merchandise at daysgonepodcast.threadless.com. There are three different Days Gone designs available on tees, tanks, sweaters, stickers, pins, notebooks, mugs, art prints, and more. And it all ships internationally, so you can rep the game all around the world. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the world of Days Gone, specifically the terrain and how the environment affects the characters, story, and the player experience. Joining me today is Tom Moose, who has a degree in outdoor education, has hiked the Appalachian Trail and Pacific Crest Trail, and was a crew leader for the Montana Conservation Corps in Glacier National Park. He currently lives in Oregon, or as we all know it, the land of days gone. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Claire. I'm so excited to be here. I, I love the podcast. I've been listening to it for a long time now. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Very happy uh, that you agreed to to come on and talk about this. But before we get started on the topic, let's talk a little bit just about Days Gone and how much we love the game. How many times have you played it? So um, I'm currently on my third full playthrough, but I have a lot more hours invested in the game than that might make you think. Uh, because you guys have often mentioned that Days Gone is the game where you buy another game and you play it for a little bit and then you go back to Days Gone. Uh-huh. Yep. I, I know I that am, feeling. <laughs> I am like that with uh, Breath of the Wild. That's my favorite game of all time. And I've oh. played that over and over again. Um, but I saw a YouTube video by The Completionist. I'm not sure if you know who he is, but uh, every single week he completes from start to finish one game. So he was one of the very few reviewers when Days Gone came out who absolutely knew what a gem this was. And if you go back and you watch his video, you'll see the real love that he has for the game. And I uh, I definitely trust his opinion. Um, so I got the game and I instantly fell in love with the natural world. I mean, I actually forgot when I started my second playthrough, I forgot there was the whole cutscene in Farewell with Sarah mm. getting stabbed and all that. In my memory, the first opening shot of the game is the shot of Mount Jefferson. It's the big white mountain that you see, and then it pans down to, to Deacon and Boozer uh, riding their motorcycles. Like, as soon as I saw that, and then especially when you get to O'Leary Mountain and you actually step out into the world and you see Mount Jefferson right there, I was like, all right, this this is the game for me. This feels like Oregon. Um, but, you know, I kind of ran into a bit of a paradox playing Days Gone because it's a, it's a great game and, like, the world is amazing. But as you said on the podcast, it's a really dark game. 
Like you have uh, Tucker is running a slave camp. You have the Rippers who are crazy people who are kidnapping people and burning off their tattoos. Uh, and like even the protagonist is 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 crazy. Like Deacon's kind of kind of losing it at the start of the game. Yeah, it's uh, not a feel good game at the beginning. Not, for ninety nine percent of it, it's not a feel good game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, and you know, I me uh, my favorite game being Breath of the Wild, where where you're starring as like the hero who holds a sword that was like it chose you because you're a special boy. Like it's 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 a bit of a switch going from the hero to the antihero. And you know, I totally uh, I totally trusted in the in the completionist, and I could see where they were going. Like. It has that scene with Deacon uh, when he's at the ambush camp and the woman who runs out of ammo, uh, he lets her go, uh, things like that. But, you know, about 10 minutes after that happened, there was a woman who was holding a table leg and I shoved a knife into her skull. So it it kind of it kind of felt it, it kind of uh, felt a little yeah. disingenuous. Um, yes. But but the paradox is, is that the gameplay is is just absolutely phenomenal, like like just walking around the Cascade region and hiding from freakers and, and the way that you gather collectibles, like everything feels good. So I had this thing where I really uh, was having trouble with the story and having trouble getting invested in that kind of the world, but I just loved playing it so much. So eventually I just, I just abandoned the story. It was actually when I brought Lisa the rock and it didn't make her happy. Like I got so sad from that. I Aww. just, yeah, like, <laughs> and I love Lisa. I uh, I just started um, sneaking around and killing freakers and turning in bounties and blowing stuff up and hunting hordes and things like that. Uh, and just refused to do any more of the story after that. I got to the point where I played it so much, I actually got to level three at uh, Tucker and Copeland's camp just from uh, killing freaks and turning in bounties and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So you were just literally playing the open world. You're like, I don't want to do the missions. The story is bringing me down. I just want to be in the world and experience the environment and the freaks and the underlying mechanics of gaining trust and turning in bounties. But you, you didn't play the story for a while. I didn't play the story. And it was probably it was probably a good, you know, 40 hours of just playing in the Cascade region. And I would I like I'd come home after a night of work and I'd put on Days Gone and I would go to one of the uh, there's a very specific uh, little broken down shed uh, near the logging camp that has a tin roof. And I would go hang out in that while it was raining because the foley that they've done for the rain on the, the tin sound. roof. Yeah, is the sound is so incredible. Good. Oh man. It, it like I would sit there and I'd close my eyes and I'd be back on the Appalachian Trail in one of the little huts that they have living in the rain. Like I would I would just I would sit there for 20 minutes just listening to the game. It was so good. How did you then get back into playing the story? Because you said you played it through three times, but you spent a lot of hours on your first playthrough ignoring the story, not doing the story. What kicked you into getting back into the story? Well, I I eventually, um, a friend of mine was moving away from Oregon and I gave her my physical copy of Days Gone as a way of like remembering uh, the, the state that we both live in. Uh, and I went back to playing Breath of the Wild. But a few months later, I saw Days Gone was on sale digitally. So I bought it and I just, for some reason, like that, that was, that was the time for me. I, my mindset was right. And I just chewed through the story as fast as I could. Uh, so that was my first full playthrough. 
Uh, and then I was at work and was bored and looking at podcasts one day and I found your podcast and I think I made it like five or six episodes in before I quit uh, Ghost of Tsushima and started up another Days Gone podcast. Yay. And ever <laughs> since then, I haven't stopped playing Days Gone. And uh, I happened to have just bought a PS5 and then immediately uh -huh. started another Days Gone playthrough. Yeah, I've done the same thing. I bought my PS5 and the only game that I've played on it is Days Gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it looks so good. Ugh. It does. Do you have a 4K TV? Uh, not yet. That's next ah, on the list. You yeah, need to I, you just get one. Maybe Black Friday sale or something, get yourself that, a, a nice 4K TV. I yeah, was, was going to get that first, but then I got the email from Sony that a PlayStation 5 was available. So I was like, I was actually at work and I ran and hid in the bathroom and was on my phone until I could get the order done. Oh, I tried to do that and ended up not being able to get one. They were sold out in four minutes. The four mm. minutes it took me to get into the store at my allotted time. And they were like, no, sorry, they're all gone. I'm like, it's gone. God damn it, yeah. PlayStation. I was like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I got one. I ended up paying a little over what it should be. Um, I paid about seven thirty, I think, for mine. But I was like, eh, I, I need one. I can't yeah. wait any longer. I need I mean, one. You're a professional now, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, about, don't know about that. But <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, what is your favorite thing about Days Gone? So I'm totally going to cheat with this question because this whole <laughs> episode a, uh, is about my well, cheat? this whole episode is my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, <okay>. uh, <laughs> so for this question specifically, I'm going to pick something else. Um, and I'm going to piggyback off of what Spawnicus Rex said when he you asked him that on like episode eight or nine. And he talked about the, the freedom that the game gives you. And he mm. was referring specifically to like horde hunting and how you can like make enemies fight one another and lure enemies places and things like that. Um, and I'm going to say uh, that uh, adding to that, I'm going to say the adaptive difficulty of the game. Uh, and I'm not just referring to how at the beginning or at any point you can select how hard you want the game to be. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that I didn't figure out, actually. I have to thank you and uh, Dandy Denny, um, because it was you two in the Crossbow episode that got me to realize how smartly this game is designed. Um, what did we say? What did she say that was so smart? Because I know it wasn't me. I know well, it was her. She's the it, smart one. <laughs> well, it, it, it convinced me to try out the crossbow. And in my second playthrough, I, I used the crossbow and I just, I absolutely fell in love with it, which, you know, a lot of people that doesn't make sense to them because it, it's so much easier with the sniper rifle to kill people. Right. But that's why the, why I say the game has adaptive di difficulty because you can make choices to make your game as easy or as hard as you want um mm -hmm. you know like a, you can go face a horde carrying the the bfg and a machine gun and like the all the biggest weapons you want or you can uh do a no shots fired run like spawnicus rex um and the main thing that makes me think, I mean, you can you can do what I'm saying. You can do this with all games. Like you could play the original mm -hmm. Super Mario Brothers and just not get the one-up mushrooms or a fire flower or something like that. But what I mean when I say this game was designed that way, there's two things specifically that make me think of that. And it's the fact that your enemies, uh, your human enemies will drop guns that you can then collect. And then the fact that the ammo tins don't respawn. Mm -hmm. And 
these two little choices, which aren't ever, you know, it's you're never told in the game that the ammo tins aren't going to respawn. You're not told that that uh, kerosene and the other collectibles are going to respawn. You just kind of figure it out. Um, and the fact that they did this shows me that they were thinking that somebody's going to come along and they're going to say, well, what if I don't buy weapons from the camps? What if I don't buy ammo from the camps? Like that's going to make the game harder for me. Um, I mean, it, it just be, it'd be really easy to give every human enemy a set of generic guns that you can't pick up. And honestly, I was a little disappointed when I first played the game and I went into camp and I realized, oh, there's infinite ammo. It's really not that hard. Mm. I can get as much ammo as I want. But then I realized, oh, the ammo tins don't respawn. They made it so I can play this game. Like when you start a, a, a new playthrough of Days Gone, you can decide I'm going to make this like a survival horror scary playthrough like the like the hardest resident evil game i'm gonna i'm gonna only pick up the terrible weapons that the enemies have i'm gonna like only get gas from the camps i'm not gonna get any ammo from the camps or you can say i want it to be the most fun arcade shooter possible and i just want to mow down hundreds of zombies over and over again like the adaptive difficulty of this game just makes it infinitely replayable yeah for sure that is one of the great things about the game and how it's designed. Every part of the world plays into every other part of the world. Like It's so cool how the animals interact with the freaks and how the humans interact with the freaks and the different, like the rippers, the way they react to the freaks versus regular marauders. The game has set up such a dynamic system that even without your input, it is constantly doing something. And then that gives you opportunity to bring in Whatever input you want to bring, you know, you can interact with the other enemies by either killing everyone or you can leave them. You can lead a horde into an ambush camp. Uh, you know, you can use, I like to lead bears into ambush camps and like <laughs> let oh, the yeah. humans fight the bear and let the bear take out some of the humans and the freaks get involved and it all goes crazy. And, uh, you know, like you say, you can choose to not upgrade your skills or you could choose to not buy guns you could choose any way to play and there is a system set up to support that play style it's genius the way it's set up is just genius i i think of i think of that movie free guy with ryan reynolds have you seen that uh-huh yep in in that movie uh the the uh, Steve from Stranger Things has designed a video game that was just supposed to be people watching this world and watching the AI interact with itself. And I think Days Gone could be like that. I would. I, I think mm. it'd be really cool if if you could uh, like load up a days a day a game of Days Gone and just view the world, like not even be Deacon. You could just look at the entire world and be like, oh, there's a horde that's chasing some marauders over here. It's almost, it would almost be like having your own little ant colony, except, you know, they're all murdering one another. <laughs> it would be really fun if you could somehow follow a freak and just a day in the life of the freak. Uh, yeah, what does exactly. it do? Where does it go? Because you know it's doing something and it's going somewhere. Exactly. That's... Uh... That's really fun. Um, all right, so let's get on to our main topic, which is talking about the environment and the terrain. Now, you you live in Oregon. How long have you been in Oregon? I've lived in Oregon. It was actually seven years, two days ago. So seven years and two days now. Okay, cool. Um, and what led you to move to Oregon? I, uh, I got a job uh, with REI, an outdoor uh, backpacking gear company. 
Mm-hmm. And they, my wife and I were living in Chicago and we're outdoors people and we wanted to live somewhere with spectacular outdoors and you just can't beat Oregon. It has, it has everything you want. The reason why I bring that up is Iron Mike, he worked for the Forest Service for decades in the Cascades. He knows the terrain, he knows uh, where to find dynamite and how to get over the Tilson Pass. Do you feel a certain connection with him? Do you see some similarities between you and him? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, riding around the world of Days Gone, like you were talking about getting the machetes out of the back of the truck and things like that. Uh, it all feels very real because I, I spent a year living in Glacier National Park in the Bob Marshall Wilderness as a trail crew leader. We would go out and we would actually uh, dig the trails and build the bridges and stuff like that. And if Iron Mike worked for the Forest Service, that's something that he would do. And uh, a lot of people might not have ever thought about this, but there's a pretty big difference in between um, the national parks, like a a national park ranger and somebody who works for the Forest Service, Uh, because a national park is much more. It's a place that's that's fully protected. We're never going to change this place. Uh, People can come here and visit because it's spectacular. And the rangers who work there are often, they're called uh, interpretive rangers. And they're there to help, you know, explain to you the cultural history, the natural history of the area. And forest rangers do that too, to a point, but our national forests are set aside as reserves. They're places where logging companies can still buy parcels of land and harvest timber and things like that. So uh, a forest ranger is much more of like, the nitty gritty, like I'm going to bring in a chainsaw, I'm going to bring in the dynamite, I'm going to bring in the rock jacks and things like that, and I'm going to get the work done. And you can very much see that in Iron Mike's personality. I mean, he's the one that's getting things done. When you're a forest ranger, when you're when you're digging trails, you're getting up at 4 a.m., you know, starting work at 5.30, and you're working until it's dark again because you only have so many days out there, and you you can totally see that in, our, in Iron Mike's iron personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the environment in the game is quite clearly designed to make you feel helpless. Um, the, the tagline of the game is, this world comes for you, and you definitely feel like that does include the environment. Let's break down some of the ways that that is evidenced in the game. And as I mentioned earlier, the first one is obviously the animals that are in the game. Yeah, I uh, I actually really loved... Well, I let me go back. I really hated the first time I got attacked by wolves because it's, you know, it's a big thing in Hollywood and the media that uh, that wolves attack people. But it's, it's something that just doesn't happen in real life. Like wolves have a very specific set of prey that they hunt. And it's, the, it's incredibly rare for, for wolves to attack a human being. But at some point in the game, Deacon mentions how there aren't really, there weren't really wolves in Oregon uh, before uh, the, the freaker apocalypse. Um, there are so few wolves in Oregon that a new set actually uh, just appeared near Mount Hood, and it made the news all over the state. Um, before yeah, that, someone there was even just posted it on the subreddit. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's perfect. But in the game, Deacon mentions that there weren't wolves in the area, and they mention how uh, the the freaks, they don't like the heat, so they're traveling north. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that the wolves would be pushed down from Canada and from where they live in much more densely populated areas that they would end up coming down here 
And then it also makes sense that since freaks are running around and attacking wolves, that wolves would soon learn that the, the human form is something that you attack and eat. So it totally mm. makes sense in the world of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you have the, the bears and the cougars as well. Are those common in Oregon? So, that, yes and no. So cougars are a lot more common than people realize. It's just that you never see them. Like, you know mm -hmm. how good house cats are hiding. If you have a cat and it wants to stay hid, you're not going to find it. Uh, but cougar attacks have been getting more common recently simply because we're pushing into their territory more and more. There's more of them and there's, there's less space for them to hide. Uh, but... Uh, my whole time hiking the Appalachian Trail uh, and the Pacific Crest Trail, and then uh, a year living out in the wilderness in Montana, I never had any real problem with animals. Um, for the most part, all animals are terrified of human beings. Like on the Appalachian Trail, I only saw the the ass end of bears as they turned and ran away from me. Because as soon as they they know, like we drive cars, we have guns. Usually, as soon as they see a human, this even happened in Glacier National Park with grizzly bears. Like there's this one grizzly bear that uh, they're all they're all radio collared, and this one is like I swear it's like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle that would just use the trail we were working on every day to get from its sleeping spot to like a, a berry patch, or I don't know where bears go during the day. Uh, and it would see us and it would just walk off trail and walk around us. Uh, huh. So so in real life, you're not gonna be in that much danger. But again, in the freaker world, when they're constantly getting attacked by humanoid shapes, it makes perfect sense that they would defend themselves against you. Let's talk about the weather. We have rain and snow and, you know, storms coming in. The rain in particular in the Cascades region in the game, Copeland's camp always feels so dreary and cold. And I just, I feel like that really comes through in the game of like adding to that sense of harshness of the world. Oh, that it's so Deacon's perfect. just constantly wet and shivery and cold and, and just how do you dry out in those conditions? You know, how do you ever have dry socks you should just constantly be having like blisters and things inside your shoes oh yeah see and that's 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 what happens is that you don't dry out uh when i hiked the pacific crest trail through washington it rained for more than a month straight and you you just get used to being kind of damp all the time uh, and I was damp for so long that literally like the, the seams on my shirts started rotting off. So oh, wow. when, when you see the people with their, with their clothes that are just completely falling apart, like that's very true to life. Eventually, like, even if you try and take care of them, they're just going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. I like how with Deacon's uh, little hoodie, he has like a little tie or something through it where the, the zips obviously long gone and, He's got it like tied up at the beginning, at the, at the bottom. And uh, I think Boozer has something similar as well. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, I love how their clothes just seem so tattered. But you're I, saying I, it, would, it would maybe happen sooner than that, sooner than a couple of years? Oh, yeah. Well, especially, and this, this is one thing I know people have talked about, and there are mods online where you can give Deacon different clothing. And I would say that is the, the one thing that bothered me at the very start of the game was all the clothing Deacon wears is 
very obviously made out of cotton. He has like blue jeans. He has a, a cotton shirt on, a cotton hoodie. And in the mm -hmm. outdoor community, there's a saying that cotton kills. Uh, it's, it's almost the worst clothing that you can bring into the outdoors because uh, when it gets wet, it retains 10 times its weight in water. Uh, the friction increases something like a hundredfold. So like cotton socks in your boots are a terrible idea. You'll get blisters like nobody's business. Uh, and then the big thing is that cotton doesn't retain heat when it's wet. When cotton gets wet, it just sucks the heat right out of you. So that that very first scene where Deacon um, is leaving and going to get his bike and it's raining and he's complaining about the rain. In my head, I was thinking, <laughs> you'd already be dead, my friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> and Boozer as well. Yeah, Boozer, Boozer as well. He has the blue jeans, the vest and like a cotton undershirt on. So he's completely in cotton. In my head canon, they both have some really good, really thick wool long johns that we just can't see. <laughs> so yeah, all the clothing that they have on over the top is just uh, just cosmetic. That's just for looks, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I, I love about the game is in the Hot Springs uh, camp in Belknap, the whole drive, the desperation that sort of underpins Tucker's control of Hot Springs is that they need to plant crops. They need food. They know winter is coming. They need the food to survive. And the soil that they have is complete garbage for planting. It's it's volcanic rock. And I imagine it's very like dry, dusty soil. And they're trying to plant these crops in and having a hard time. Uh, I love that about how it how it just informs everything that happens in Hot Springs. Is that a particular region of Oregon that is like that? So there is a particular region of Oregon that is like that. And, and it's not technically around uh, the Three Finger Jack area. Uh, so uh, at the very start of the game, I, I believe it's the, the woman who takes the ears at Copeland's camp is talking to Deacon about heading north to Smith Rock. Uh, mm -hmm. there, yeah, there's uh, another Jesse. campo by Jesse, Jesse, that's right. Uh, and it, I think in my mind, they might have mentioned Smith Rock because they, they basically took the biome from that region and plopped it right down around Three Finger Jack. Uh, because if you actually go, well, don't go to Three Finger Jack right now because it's all on fire. Um, and it's burned several times, but that whole region is actually, uh, it's all national forest and it's all like just miles and miles of pine trees. So it's much more like, uh, what you see in the cascade area than what you actually see in the game. Um, which is not something that really, you, you would think that would bother me because there's technically no high desert in, in the Oregon cascade uh, range. The high desert in Oregon is hundreds of miles to the east. Um, mm. But if you if you think about open world games like uh, uh, Horizon Forbidden West, for instance, that game covers from like you start out somewhere what's supposed to be like Bryce Canyon National Park, and you go all the way to the west coast to San Francisco, or like Death Stranding covers the entire United States in its little map. And so it, it might. You might think somebody who loves the natural world as much as me would be really put off that they move these biomes. But in real life, it's only like an hour and a 15 minute drive to get from uh, Marion Forks to uh, the Smith Rock area. So moving those biomes really isn't that mm -hmm. bad. And how 
exact it looks like that region. I just, I don't even care. It, it, you could go there and watch the sunset on Three Finger Jack and feel like you're at Smith Rock. One thing that uh, I think it was Jeff Ross mentioned in my interview with him, he was the game director, he did mention that he wishes that he'd made the the distances greater, not to change the map or anything, but to make to change the numbers that you see. So when it says one kilometer away, he wants to change it to three kilometers away. So you get a sense of greater distance, even though it doesn't technically take you any longer to drive there in the game. He he regrets like not having it feel like a bigger world. And I feel like that maybe is what you're saying is like these two regions are really far apart. So if we just in game say, oh, yeah, it's five miles apart, 10 miles apart, 15 miles apart, suddenly it feels a little bit more realistic even though you're not changing the map at all in the in-game map. That's why I like walking everywhere. When I, uh, it's most of the time when I play the game, I'm off the motorcycle. I just, I just love hiking through days gone. You just gave me an idea for my next playthrough. I might do a bike free playthrough and just run everywhere. That would be really fun. That's kind of what I'm doing. I'm doing one where I can only buy gas in camps. So especially I'm a little worried when I get down to the like Crater Lake region because the camps are at the, the northwest side of that region. Mm. If you got to go down to Highway 97, you might have to like, you know, park on a ridgeline and then walk all the way down. And it makes it so I felt like with the motorcycle, the times that I've played, you can get into a bad habit of like, Go to the camp, get your job, uh, drive somewhere really fast, kill all the marauders, drive back, get your next job, drive somewhere, kill all the rippers, drive back. Whereas if you're doing something without the motorcycle, if you're walking through the world, it's a whole trek you have to plan. You have to conserve your, your health and your ammo and everything from the time you leave camp. You have to do that all the way to where you're going to fight the marauders. Then you have to fight the marauders. Then you have to get all the way back. Yeah. It makes it makes it so much more fun if you enjoy, enjoy stress for fun. Yeah, I also feel that way about fast travel. Some people use fast travel, uh, and I'm like, well, but that, you're missing out on half the game. Yeah, you know, you you're not doing that in between part of going from camp to the job. Uh, if you fast travel to just next to where the job is, you're kind of giving yourself short shrift. You know, of that experience of the world. And I, I like taking it one step further and actually just not using the bike. Just get off the yeah. bike and walk. That's really the, cool. The motorcycle is fast travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about O'Leary Mountain um, because, you know, we, we mentioned that the environment in the game is designed to make you feel helpless. But you actually have a good point you want to bring up about how the environment can actually help you. Yeah, so in the Cascade region... It's a lot more dense with trees and small hills and bushes that you can hide in and just and just stuff. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see the working hours for whoever designed all the region. And I bet the Cascade regions took longer than anywhere else just because there's so much stuff there. And I feel like at the very beginning of the game, when you're very weak, that's really helpful because you can hide so easily. You get seen by two freaks and you're on survival too, and you're out of luck, but you sprint and you slalom through a couple trees and then slide or fall off a cliff or something into some bushes, and you're going to be good to go. I think that it it's, it's, it's a sneaky way that they made the game hard and easy at the same time. 
Yeah. Yeah, it definitely kind of lets you know in those early hours that at least at the beginning of the game, you do need to favor stealth. The game does give you a lot of freedom in how you want to play, but certainly on like a first playthrough or if you're an average gamer or not a particularly gun-heavy gamer, it's like the game is telling you, yeah, dude, use stealth, use bushes, hide, don't engage in combat. I feel like I got that message loud and clear when I first played it. And I, I love that play style anyway. So it was like an easy message to receive. But I do see on the subreddit pretty often people saying like, I don't get this game. What am I doing wrong? I'm constantly running out of ammo. My health is really low. I'm always dying. And I'm only at the crazy willy mission or something, or I'm like three hours in. And it's like, well, you you got to kind of read the environment, read what the game is telling you. It's telling you don't engage. Exactly. Use stealth, sneak around them. Like you say, there's so many bushes. I remember my first playthrough where you have to get uh, really early on, you have to get, um, you're going back to get your bike. And there's like five freaks. And I was like, oh shit, how am I going to get through this region? And it took me like 20 minutes to like sneak around them. And I snuck up behind each one and stealth killed them from the bushes. Um, but yeah, it really does spell it out that that stealth is necessary, but also is a good option. It's a good choice. And then conversely, by the time you get to the end of the game, you're down uh, in the Crater Lake region where there is nowhere to hide. Right. And I recently actually um, started my latest playthrough without the music on uh, because I realized that the music will oftentimes cue into things that are going to happen before you mm. realize it. And yeah, when, like there's a horde nearby or there's a, a horde nearby. or something. I, um, and I had, I was, um, I saw a rager bear that I didn't want to deal with. So I started running from it and I thought I got away, but I was in the crater lake region where there's not a lot of places to hide. And, you know, I thought I was fine and I was just walking along. And then all of a sudden he tackles me from behind because I didn't have those little hills and safe places to hide behind. Right. The world wasn't protecting me like that. The Mount Bailey Horde, and some of, a lot of the hordes actually are kind of harder to kill in that region because there are, there are no bushes to hide in. Or the bushes that are there are too close to the horde and they see you really easily. Um, you don't have as many options. Um, how accurate is the landscape in the game compared to reality? We, we mentioned earlier about the Belknap region, Three Finger Jack, but what about uh, Crater Lake and, and Highway 97? How, is, how does that compare to real Oregon? Well, I think it might be a good idea for me to kind of describe Oregon in real life. And then the, the way I think of Days Gone is, I guess I've, I've watched too many multiverse movies recently, because I kind of just think of Days Gone as like uh, a slightly different world from ours. So I'll describe our world and then how it's different uh, okay. in, in the Days Gone world, because uh, a lot of people think of Oregon as a really rainy state or the Pacific Northwest as being really rainy. And it can be, but it's it's just on the west side of the state. So you have the Pacific Ocean and then you have what are called the, uh, uh, the, the Coast Range. And then after the Coast Range is, is the Willamette Valley that you hear about in the game that's called a war zone where Salem and Portland are. And then you have the Cascade Range. Uh, so even before you get to the Cascade Range, you have a whole other mountain range that's that's catching all of these rain clouds and soaking up most of the rain. So when you get to the area of Days Gone, 
if you if you think of about the mountains in uh in in the cascade range going from west to east the west side gets a lot more rain than the east side and mm -hmm. uh if you're if you if you ever get the chance to fly into portland and drive uh from one side of the cascade range to the other it's a really fascinating drive because you'll see you'll you're always going to be in really tall evergreen trees the beautiful evergreen trees that everyone loves in the pacific northwest but on the west side of the mountains the underbrush is going to be incredibly thick and as you're climbing up like you're you're if you're hiking in it you're unable to see more than like two or three feet in front of you unless some trail crews have come with chainsaws and just completely hacked their way through this jungle uh but then you get up to the three finger jack area and you notice that a lot of it has thinned out and then by the time you get down into like you're you're heading down the mountain and towards bend or, or farewell uh you uh you have mostly trees and almost uh no scrub there are it's it's so crazy because there'll still be little patches of it just like there are in the game you'll be walking along like in a grassy forest and then there's a little patch of bushes that's exactly <laughs> the height of the ones in the game it's crazy it's like perfect for hiding in there taking out a horde oh wait we're in reality there are no hordes <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so so they they design the plant life almost perfectly. Like I said before, the, the, the area around Three Finger Jack should be a little bit more to the east, but the plant life there is great. And the plant life in the Cascade and then down in the, the, the Lost Lake Camp area is all, it's all real. You can download uh, uh, apps on your phone that will help you identify trees and you can find the exact trees that are there. You can find uh, juniper, you can find, um, Oh, what's it called? Ponderosa Pines. That's my favorite one in the game. If I had to pick a real favorite thing in the whole game, it would be the moss and the bark on the Ponderosa Pines is just so well done. The way the moss interacts with the bark. I know this is silly and all of your all of your listeners are probably rolling their eyes, but I no, no. It, 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 it's so true to life. I just I'm, I want to talk to whoever designed the moss and be like, you have you have macro shots. You went out and took a hike and took macro shots of moss and just put them in the game, didn't you? It looks great. Um, but moving down to the Crater Lake region, I would say the, the, so the macro scale they did really well, but then the other thing they did really spectacularly in this game is the sense of scale. The, the thing that happens when you're hiking in Oregon, a lot of people, um, you know, you think of the Pacific Northwest and you picture the big volcanoes that are everywhere. But the truth is there's only a handful of those. So most of the time when you're hiking in Oregon, you're just hiking in trees. It's, it's like in the game when you're paying attention to just what's in front of you. But just like in the game, every now and then you'll come to an opening in the view and then boom, there's an enormous mountain that's towering another five, six, seven thousand feet in front of you. Uh, and they do this great, uh, particularly with Crater Lake. When you're standing on the rim of Crater Lake and you're looking across from it, it feels a lot like it does in real life. Um, yeah, one of your guests said that the world of Days Gone is actually only three miles across. Uh, Crater Lake itself is actually six miles across. 
So oh, wow, no way, really. It's it's enormous because because the the whole story of this is fascinating. It was it was I'm gonna get the numbers wrong, but it was something like seven thousand years ago. What was Crater Lake was Mount Mazama. So if you're if you're standing on the rim of Crater Lake in the game. Just imagine there's another 6,000 feet of rock and ice and water standing above you. And then all of a sudden it explodes and it takes all of that mountain and it throws it all the way to Bend. Like just to the east of Bend, there's a hiking area. I think it's called the Dry River Wilderness Area, I think. Uh, and that's where that's where Mount Mazama is now. It got thrown 300 miles and landed over there. Uh, and then, and then you look down, and there's a 1,700 foot deep lake underneath you, and that is by far the thing that they did the best is giving you a sense of scale for when you're standing on the edge of Crater Lake and feeling like that gulf of air that's underneath you. Mm. Um, you asked though uh, if there is anything I wouldn't say wrong, but anything that that shouldn't be there in the game. Uh, and if there was one thing I was going to change, uh, so Crater Lake, like I said, it, it was a big mountain and it exploded uh, and it took all of the water with it. There, there are no streams. If you go to Crater Lake, there are no streams that are running into Crater Lake. So that lake that's there, the 1700 feet deep, is all snowmelt and uh, rainwater that have washed in there. So it's incredibly clear. Uh, and... In the game, they have actually put a stream going down into the lake. Uh, so that's the one major thing that they that they I would say they messed up because it's really strange. If you if you look in the game, you can go to one of the historical markers and it talks about the lake. And in the game's historical marker, it says there are no streams running into Crater <laughs> Lake. But in the game, someone designed it that way. Huh. I wonder why. I mean, aside from obviously maybe it's just a mistake, but I wonder if if there was some thought behind that, like why, why you would put a stream there? I guess they maybe, if someone didn't know, they were designing it and they're just like, well, it needs to have a water source. It is a lake. All lakes are fed by rivers. So let me put one in. Well, in my head canon, uh, in real life, there, there are no fish since there are no streams running into Crater Lake. There's, uh, there was nothing li living in it. Um, some people in the 1800s brought some crawdads. So now there are some invasive crawdads that are living in it. But in my head canon, the militia went to uh, a fish hatchery that still had fish in it and they stocked Crater Lake and maybe they diverted a stream to go down into the lake to bring more mm. nutrients for the fish. So that's how I get around it. Or conversely, it's the multiverse. And maybe there was one stream left over when this Mount Mazama exploded. It's actually a really good headcanon, a really good way to, to deal with the apocalypse. You need a food source. Yeah, why not seed a lake with fish? Right, exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so Days Gone fans visiting Oregon, what should they go and see? You really can't go wrong with Oregon. I mean, everything's <laughs> all great. of it, everything, all, all of it. Like you, you can you can go it, in in three days. You can be on the coast watching whales and seeing like the most brightly colored anemones and starfish. You can see uh, elk in the coast range. You can climb a 12,000 foot volcano. You can, you can go into, just like in the game, there are caves uh, that you can go explore. My favorite is actually in Washington, one called Ape Cave, where you can go 
underground and hike underground for over a mile and a half in in places it's as big as a subway tunnel and in other places you're scraping your shoulders on on either side uh i haven't done that since playing days gone so it might be a little bit more terrifying now um <laughs> i was gonna say when you said about scraping your shoulders i was like getting a little claustrophobic i do have a bit of claustrophobia i'm usually good with caves but i feel like that one plus thinking about days gone and hordes might freak me out a little bit too much they're they're a little creepy on the inside. I would say um, if I was going to name one place in particular for people, and it's not technically on the Days Gone map. I mean, obviously Crater Lake. Um, you have to go see Crater Lake if you can see it in the summer. Um, it's different. It is different from the game world in that there are no gas stations around the edge of Crater Lake. It's just mm. one road that goes forty miles, and it's it's all. I mean, it's not wilderness travel since there's a road. Um, you can go in the summer and it'll be a lot more crowded. Or if you go in the winter, uh, Crater Lake gets over 40 feet of snow a year and they just shut down the road and you can go snowshoe out and see the most spectacular stars and sunrises and sunsets of your life. Um, so you besides, can still get there even when the road is closed. You can, you, but you, the road is closed to cars, but you could, in theory, yeah, so still they, get out there. They plow all the way up into a visitor center at the at the base of the mountain. And then you can sometimes you can drive up to the rim and start a hike. Sometimes you have to hike up to the rim. But it's a it's a lot of people will go and like cross country ski around the rim or snowshoe around the rim and spend like three or four days camping on the snow. Wow. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, The only other place I'd go visit would be uh, Silver Falls State Park the Trail of Ten Falls. Uh, you just hike a little uh, like three or four or five mile loop and you see a dozen 50, 100 foot waterfalls and you can go behind them. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, wow. Is one of them, do you think, the, um, the location in the game where Deacon proposes to Sarah? I think that might be uh, Salt Creek Falls. It's so the one that he proposed at is shorter than Salt, Salt Creek Falls, but it looks very similar. Uh, mm. That's one thing. So in order to prepare for the podcast, I actually did a, a through hike of the Days Gone World and looked at all the sign names and looked at all the uh, the names of uh, like the campgrounds and stuff like that. And none of the stuff really exists in the real world. Like they they have some of the names like Three Finger Jack and, and Mount Jefferson. They got some of the mountain names right. But they would take like, uh, they would just kind of like jumble things up like the Metolius mm. River Campground. There There is a lot of stuff named Metolius in this area. There's nothing specifically called the Metolius River Campground. So they might take uh, like Tumalo Falls, which is real, and they name something Tumalo Campground instead. Ah. Yeah, you won't find anything that's actually that's actually there in real life, but you'll find a lot of things that look exactly like their real life counterparts, inclu- including pot farms. Oh yeah, like the NCS. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Is pot legal in Oregon? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and that's how you can t- that's how you can tell that the the freaker apocalypse happened before legalization, because otherwise there'd be a lot more abandoned pot shops. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so one question that I ask almost every guest that comes on the podcast, if you found yourself in the world of Days Gone, how would you fare and which camp would you end up in? Oh, that's so hard because I think it all depends on where in the Days Gone world you ended up when the freaker apocalypse happened. Because I remember 
the uh, the tunnel leading out to, to Farewell, you find a Nero reporter where you overhear one of the, the militia members saying, uh, you know, that's Colonel Garrett. He's in charge of the Deschutes County militia. He's going to blow up that tunnel. You can join us if you want to. And I feel like if, if it were me and I was sitting waiting in a car worrying about the horde behind me and then somebody was like, hey, I'm in charge. I'm going to do something about this. You can join me if you want to. I feel like I would I would go off with them immediately. Yeah, you'd be like, yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please I, save me from this horde. Exactly. Take, take me, give me a gun and let me do something. Um, I think I, I, with my experience in the wilderness, I think I could fare okay. I have a hammock tent. So you see a lot of abandoned tents on the ground that are people I assume mm-hmm. got attacked in the middle of the night when they went pee. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would sleep a lot higher up in the air. So hopefully be away right. from freakers. Yeah. Yeah, and and bears and things as well, I I presume, and wolves and cougars and anything that might decide it does want to eat you. Well, everything wants to eat you in the days gone. Yes, yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely sleeping up high is a good idea. So I I like Copeland's camp. I I always call it the Ewok village because it, you know, has that sort of the elevated little paths and everything, the little platforms. But it is kind of a smart design. It really is to like get really up off is. the ground. So how long do you think you would last? I don't know how long I would last. Well, you certainly have a lot of skills to survive out in the wilderness. Um, so I don't think the weather or the animals would get to you. Maybe not the freaks. It's just, could you go up against the human enemies? That's, that's the a question. Good, you know, that's a good point. And now that you bring it up that way, uh, thinking about my need to go back and play Breath of the Wild because I couldn't handle being beacon for too long makes me think I might not last as long as I would hope, uh, simply because the world is so depressing, I might just give up on it. There's one spot uh, somewhere in either Crater Lake or Highway 97 area. I forget exactly where it is. I think it's near that farmhouse near the gas station with the big eat sign just south of that. There's a little shack just off the road. It's easy to miss. Tiny little shack. Not much in it to loot. But on the other side of the shack, so if you get off your bike and you go around, there's a little fishing spot. And there's two guys, corpses, in chairs with their fishing poles next to them and a bunch of pill bottles. So it's like they just sat there, had a little fishing, little fishing afternoon, maybe drank a few beers, took some pills and just expired, just went out peacefully and just like on a nice fishing trip, two buddies. And that's uh, that's probably the best way to go in, I mean, in that world. Some, sometimes a peaceful, a peaceful end is the best thing you can ask for. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, a couple things before we wrap up. You can support the Days Gone podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash 8BitTerror. And I'm excited to announce I've just rolled out memberships. You can now support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. There are various levels, each with their own perks and rewards. So go check out buymeacoffee.com slash 8BitTerror. And I want to give a big shout out to my channel supporters, my channel members, Miranda Satin, Basics of Pain, Captain Caffeine, Jay Stabby, Tom Moose, Anton G, James Guan, Obscured by Ink, and Borislav247. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share so more people can find the show. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been absolutely awesome. I've had so much fun. I can't wait to get off of here and go play some Days Gone. 
You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. Weaver out.